XY Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be here today with you. I've got a good friend of mine. He's actually legitimately a friend of mine. He's someone that I've worked with in the past at Zweig Group, and uh, he's just an all-around good guy. And Chad Serpernant is the former leader of ISG, uh, and it's a firm based up in uh, Minnesota with offices in oh, Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, and South Dakota. And uh, ISG is a really good firm. They're an ESOP. They are um, about 300 plus people, give or take. And uh, they do a lot of great work in the upper Midwest. And so I wanted to bring Chad on to the Zweig Letter podcast just to check in with him, see how things are going and see how they're maintaining, even in the throes of the pandemic that we're all dealing with. So, Chad, how are you doing? Doing great, Randy. Thank you. Absolutely. This is actually the second time that we've had ISG on. Uh, we had uh, a former marketing executive of yours on a while back, and and that was a really popular episode. And um, uh, I, I want to say, actually, we had our I actually had our another podcast. It just they all blend together, but it was a good <laughs> podcast episode. I got a lot of really good feedback about it. And uh, I would love to um, just kind of learn more about, you know, what you guys have been up to, especially with everything else that's going on. So, sure. Yeah, well, I had listened to that podcast, too. And that one was it was great. Um, and, you know, honestly, thanks for all the, the kind words and, and the friendship. You're spot on. You are a friend. I'm, I'm glad I'm a friend to you, too. Um, you're an exceptionally good man, and I think the work that you do for our industry is very admirable. And you know, anything I can do um, to help provide some insight for our industry, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, we always—I remember early on in our career talking with some of the folks around the, the company. They're like, "Man, you, you share an awful lot of information." It's like you know, people. They, they can take it and run with it. Maybe you're giving away a competitive advantage, who knows, but they still have to execute it. Yeah. And, um, you know, having the discipline to execute what may be a good idea, uh, you know, the execution is way more than 50%. You can have ideas that they're wonderful, but you got to get them done. Yeah. So no, I'm happy to share anything and everything I can. 
So, well, I guess the big news really is that you uh, recently relocated from Mankato, Minnesota to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So Mankato, for those that don't know, is kind of the de facto home office for ISG, even though you have quite a few people up in the Twin Cities area. But now you are physically in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And more than that, you have recently, which I guess in the last year, relinquished control of the company uh, to Lynn Bruns, who now technically runs ISG, along with a lot of other amazing leaders that you've been grooming for years. And you're no longer the guy with the keys. And I'm just wondering what that's like. It's awesome. <laughs> no, it's it's actually pretty fun. Um, boy, well, you said a lot in there. That, I did. Uh, I did. So two you, things was really I could I could run for two hours. At, yeah, and moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, um, I'll, I'll do the moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota thing re- real quick. Um, so we've got three kids. Our oldest, Noah, is a sophomore at Iowa State, and then we've got. Ellie, who is a senior in high school, and Caleb, who's a sophomore in high school. And, you know, we just, you know, it's nobody's fault. You, you just saw how the, the tail end of the school year went last year. And, and we just didn't think we necessarily got a, a lot out of that education distance learning. Mm-hmm. And it was important to us to have the kids in an environment where they can be face to face. So South Dakota offered that to us from a personal basis. And additionally, then, I didn't have to change business cards. I could move from Mankato to Sioux Falls where we had an office or have an office of about 15 people here. And, um, and I was just in a position where, you know, could do it from a personal financial, whatever our kids didn't throw a fit. They said, Nope, we get it. We're happy to do it. Um, I don't think I would have been like that at 15 or 17. Um, And Noah, the 20 year old down at Iowa state doesn't care. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't care where we're at or what we're doing. <laughs> and and Tara, God bless her, she she was happy to make the move too, you know, new adventure. From a business perspective, there was there was some reason for doing it too. Um, you know, Minnesota hasn't always been the greatest business climate. And Minnesota's had an extremely challenging um 2020 uh with various, you know, COVID and civil unrest and so forth. And um hasn't helped people looking at Minnesota from a business perspective and thinking that's a place that they really want to do a lot of business. Our problem at ISG is half of our staff are in Minnesota and the other half are in the states that you mentioned, South Dakota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. So um, we feel a responsibility and a commitment to win as much work as we possibly can in other locations and uh, in order to keep our Minnesota staff busy and, and productive. So having personally a little bit more focus outside of Minnesota is probably a good investment for ISG in me than investing where I might be physically located in Minnesota with some limited ability to get some things done. And, you know, what the heck, it's it's an adventure. So that that's kind of the Minnesota to South Dakota move. Um, but the to your other question is the transition of a company from uh, me being a CEO for 19 years from 2001 to first part of 2020. Um, it's really actually been a very smooth transition. And it's been one that um, I'm asked this frequently. And, and I can honestly say I have never once sat there waking up early in the morning or can't sleep at night thinking, my goodness, I, I just really wish I was a CEO. I would be doing this. I'd do this. I'd do that. That that's not happened whatsoever. Uh, um, you know, I, th- I think it happens for other people. We, we see this in acquisitions and so forth. When we're, we're, we're looking at companies where people have a hard time relinquishing control Um whether it's good or bad, I think my leadership style over the course of many years has been one to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a driver. I push. There's no doubt about that. But um, I also have provided plenty of opportunities, I think, for other people to grow and take on considerable leadership. It, it 
I believe strongly that you cannot or should not limit your organization by your own personal limitations. Yeah. Um, you Could know, you say that one the, more time? Sure. Yeah, I don't think you should limit um, your your organization regardless of what that organization might be. It might be your baseball association. It might be your company. It might be maybe your marriage. You shouldn't limit whatever that you're in charge of um, by your own personal limitations. There's a couple different ways of saying that too. You know, I remember right. back in my high school humanities course, uh, uh, the great philosopher Plato. Um, I know that I do not know, therefore I am wise. Uh, also, strengths finders. You know, I'm a big strengths finders guy. Um, I, I believe that you should play to your strengths and not necessarily ignore your weaknesses, but probably have your weaknesses covered by somebody else. I think a lot of management theory is figure out what your weaknesses are and then pour your effort into that. And, you know, if you're a C minus player in some of those things and, and you, you probably don't enjoy doing them, you can waste a whole bunch of time and energy um, into that C minus effort, get yourself up to a B minus. Well, in the real world, B minus doesn't get it cut, you know, doesn't cut it. It gets you, it gets you not hired. Um, and so why pour in efforts to something where you're ultimately not that great um, only to have somebody else be more successful, do the things that you're great at, that you're passionate about. And, you know, like in my personal instance, I can't sell anything, Randy. I am the worst salesperson on the planet. I can't close the deal. And um, yet when I started at ISG, it was a 10 person firm it's 325 people now. Clearly we've sold something along the way, but we also knew, or I knew intrinsically inherently that we can't do this based on my inability to sell. And so that that was always an easy thing for me to let go of. Let somebody else go figure out how to sell stuff. I'm pretty good at strategy. I think I'm, you know, I've got some strengths out there, but, um, but selling isn't one of them. So don't limit ISG's abilities based on uh, my lack of ability to sell. Yeah. So, you know, and, and we're at the tail end of 2019 and 2019 was a year that we just didn't do a very good job at ISG. We, we didn't make our marks. Um, I had been frustrated. Uh, you had come and spoken with us a couple of times at, at various events that we had at ISG providing leadership and such. And, and I kind of felt like I saw 2019 coming. I, I thought that we were getting um, a little complacent in some of the things that we were doing. I think we had some people employed that probably were um, had carved out some areas that maybe weren't overly valuable. And I was getting very frustrated. And uh, as a result, finally 2019 happened and we for the first year in a number of years, actually our revenue dipped from 2018 to 2019, not, not dipped by a lot. Mm-hmm. And 2019 still ended up being our second highest revenue year, but it wasn't a very profitable year. And we dropped, I don't know, 2% in revenue. Uh, I wasn't satisfied with that at all. And, and I've, I, I, part of it, I felt that maybe we needed a new, a little bit new voice. Um, I also knew that I was turning 50 years old in April of 2020. That's still young, and my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but I think I think our youthfulness at ISG is part of our competitive advantage. <clears throat> and we see that when we're competing against baby boomer firms and so forth. And I just felt that the older and older I got, the more and more I started looking like the leadership of the people we were competing against and competing successfully against. And if that's not what I really believed in, then why, why portray, uh, you know, a middle-aged white guy leadership sort of approach to affirm that that's not what our competitive advantage was. So I told uh, three guys at ISG, Lynn Bruins, uh, David Dockstead and Derek Johnson in the second half of 2019 that, you know, for my 50th birthday, 
I was going to give myself the gift of no longer being CEO. <laughs> and um, I don't know if there was shock or anything like that. We had been talking fairly openly about that type of thing. And, um, but I think that actually set the marker out there that, you know, it's, it's really going to happen. And sometimes I say stuff like that just to make sure that you actually follow through. Um, you, you know, sometimes you got to put it out there in print in order to live up to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was, that was the gift to myself, but I also think largely the gift to the company. I think they're ready for uh, a new person in that position. Um, my role has changed from, so I was seat president and CEO. Right. Um, and I was on our board, but I was not our board chair. Um, and now I am chief strategy officer, whatever that means. I, I think there's some good stuff, I, but it, there's not a real specific definition for it. Yet um, I am now the board chair and uh, we split up the president and CEO spot. Lynn is our uh, chief executive officer and he's in our lacrosse office, lacrosse, Wisconsin. David Dockstead here in Sioux Falls is our president. And Derek Johnson in Des Moines is our executive vice president. And then I'm chief strategy officer, as I said. So I get to work on things probably in a fashion very similar to what some CEOs would, would do. I'm high level, uh, but at the same time, there's then every once in a while a special little project that Lynn may want to accomplish or somebody in the company wants to get accomplished and they want my opinion on it. I frequently wear kind of an empathetic hat of trying to be um, kind of a surrogate client in-house where, um, you know, test me, you know, use me as kind of the um, means of what do you think the client would think about this? And so in somewhat of a non-threatening environment, I can provide input on a project or an approach um, before the client would actually give the input. And I, I really enjoy that. That's, yeah. that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I also saw you and I see you as a pretty good cheerleader too. I think there's a, a real benefit in that um, from a leadership perspective, you've got to be able to um, encourage as much as possible everybody else. And I've always said in our leadership trainings, especially the ones that I've done at Zwig Group, that real leaders ultimately work themselves out of a job. Not that they're going to get fired, but that they're going to create opportunities for other people to step into their full potential. And I see that as being something you've done, maybe on a long arc, but you've done it nonetheless. And now you guys are starting to benefit because you've brought, I mean, all, each of the guys that you mentioned, I know personally, they're all very sharp individuals. They all could run their own companies in their own right. And you've created kind of a, a platform for them to continue to develop uh, in the roles that you've, you've, you've laid out and, and that you just previously mentioned. So I think that's important for people to hear that are, you know, that are in this space that are in the design industry, but have a hard time relinquishing things because they're afraid of what will happen. But I always tell people, if you, if you build strong people, they will ultimately take care of what you've created or what you've been a part of shepherding or storing for a long period of time. Would you agree to that? I would totally agree to that. Um, it's, and I just heard this this morning here in the office and uh, one team member was asking another one for some pricing on uh, the design of a force main. <laughs> and it's like, how much per lineal foot is that thing going to cost? And he's like, well, let me show you. He, you can look right here. And, and she goes, oh, so you're going to give me a fish. He says, nope, I'm trying to teach you how to fish. But it's exactly that. You know, it, it's uh, um you help people, you mentor people along the way and um, let them take things to places that you never could dream of. And, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if approaching it in the right fashion, being inclusive, um, you can get a lot, a lot accomplished. Um, and I, I think that's really the personality that we have here as a firm. 
And I, I've, I feel proud, prideful of that. Of, I mean, I think part of that personality of our firm is, is the personality that my father had in, in founding the firm. Um, and probably, you know, a lot of that then passed on to me and just the opportunity to, to let other folks take it to new levels. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Been, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that about your dad because I know a lot of design professionals that are firm founders have that founder's dilemma, right? It's like I created this. I mean, your dad created it, but you took it to a whole nother level. And even then, it would still be, I guess, if you think of it logically, hard for you to just give it up. But there comes a time when that has to happen. And for anybody listening to this that's in that founder's dilemma where you're like, I'm the only one that can steward this ship and, you know, take it in the right direction. You know, if, if you walk off the street tomorrow and get hit by a bus, you know, hopefully you've set the company up in a position that it can run itself or other people can step up and, and fill the vacuum that you will have created, but uh, only you can answer that. And I think a lot of design firm leaders that are founders struggle with this because they know deep in their heart they haven't taken the time necessary to really cultivate and develop that next um, generation of leaders. And that's a problem that I've seen in this industry since I've been traveling around since 97. And I don't think yeah. it's changed a lot. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think for my father, one of the easier things for him or what made it maybe easier was he and I had a very good relationship Um I was the youngest of four kids, the only one that ever really considered going into the business. And, um, but he and I were probably the closest of my four siblings or three other siblings. And I think he had a, I think he felt that it was easier to give it to me. I think he had a lot of faith in what I could get accomplished. And, and I don't know that he could have, let go of the reins really to many other people with they had a different last name or, or whatever, or different relationship. And I, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, but he also had a way of conducting himself as well, that he was the so far from selfish and uh, just it, it taught us a lot of really good things from a business perspective, even though I don't think he thought he was teaching us business values. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, we didn't take big, big distributions largely because we never made money, but we, we yeah. really, you know, it, you know, it was a family business, but, but it was not done. My, my parents didn't come from real uh, dollar oriented upbringings. And, and so, they were just happy to be able to pay their bills. And we kind of ran things very similarly. And then as we, as the company started growing and, and we were making more money, I guess, um, we were also growing and growth takes a tremendous amount of dollars. And we kept pouring those dollars back into the company because we just did not have any habit built up of taking dollars out of the company. Yeah. And ultimately, we ended up building something that was way more valuable than what we thought. Um, you know, and you fast forward to about four years ago, and we were about 220 people or so. And we had 19 shareholders, of which of whom I was the largest shareholder, but I was not a majority owner. I was somewhere in the 40, 45% range. And um, we've always been ultra sensitive to kind of what, what's the pulse? What's the feeling of the people inside of our organization? And at 150 people, you, you still knew everybody by name. You, mm -hmm. you, you kind of could tell who was on what trajectory and so forth. And yeah, I could just tell that at 220 people, it was different. And you started having the potential feeling of the haves versus the have-nots. The 200 people that aren't shareholders versus the 19 people that are, and just human nature, what comes with that? Oh, is there a smoky back room? I bet those guys are getting rich. I, you know, all of this stuff. And 
we weren't hearing any of that directly. We didn't see people leaving as a result of it, but but being hypersensitive to that potential and hypersensitive to the team, um, that's what really got us started thinking about doing something different from an ownership perspective. In essence, all of those things could be added up to being one big distraction, a shareholder distraction, a staffing distraction. And in reality, it wasn't even true. In reality, it was 19 people that were not taking dollars out of the company that were largely putting the dollars right back into the company and reinvesting, doing the things that you'd want to do. Yet you have this mechanism of 19 shareholders and 200 people that aren't that could be perceived incorrectly. And so I was like, well, is there a way, is there a way for us to keep, um, keep doing what we're doing yet, uh, keep doing what we're doing from a business perspective, um, but change up our ownership interests. And we looked at continuing to do what, how we were doing it, ownership transition, but we were steeply discounted value internally. We looked at how much we had grown and really knew that in tra a traditional sense, there's no way people could get fair market value for their stock. And there is no way that people can be able to write the checks necessary for it. The other alternative was to get acquired. Um, and I actually kind of stepped out of the room on that one and said to the other 18 people, if we get acquired, either it's a firm that thinks they really need me as a CEO, or more likely I'm the first person on the chopping block and get canned. Um, so I don't really want to vote in this thing because I don't want people thinking that I don't want to vote for an acquisition because I want to protect my employment. Right. So I just said, I'm stepping out. You 18, figure out what you want to do on that. That became an 18-0. No, we don't want to get acquired. We're a young firm. We like where we're going. We think we're competitively different. And then the third option was some kind of employment ownership. Um, we knew a little bit about ESOP, but not a lot. And um, Lynn and I ended up spending, at the board's direction, spent much of the first part of 2016 uh, understanding what an ESOP is, evaluating what um, what that would mean to us, and what are the goods, what are the bads, and so we spent you know four to six months looking at that. Ultimately, came away thinking this looks like a really good deal for us, and then executed it in the tail end of 2016 and made it happen. Um, and we've been 100% ESOP. Uh, since January of 2017. Now that's a little bit, our path there is a little bit peculiar. We had 19 shareholders. We went from zero percentage ESOP to 100%. So nobody owns a share of the company now outside of the ESOP trust. And then uh, the other thing that's peculiar about that is we did that without a retirement event. Usually ESOPs are set up where you know, we can't figure out how to buy out Joe Blow and Joe Blow owns 63% of the company. We've got a great firm built up, whatever, but how do we buy this 63% out? And so it ends up being a 63% ESOP, partial ESOP. And then most firms march towards 100% ESOP over the course of time as additional people retire. Um, we had been told by various people and a good friend of mine, John Carlson from Braun Intertech, 1,000, 1,200 person mm -hmm. geotechnical firm headquartered in Minneapolis. Um, he told me, you know, man, if you can get to 100% ESOP, he says, it took us 20 years to do it. If you can do it in one shot, go right ahead. And he asked me about six months after we became an ESOP, he was like, well, what percentage are you and so forth? I said, 100%. He goes, 100%? How'd you do that? And I said, well, geez, John, you told me to. And, uh, <laughs> But no, I, but a lack of retirement events was great. But you have to convince 19 people that uh, that this is the right thing to do. And we felt for for our company, it absolutely was the right thing to do. And um, still believe that to be the case. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they, to me, ESOPs, while it's not a new thing for our industry, it's one that 
not everybody has been quick to um, cozy up to. And I think more and more companies are seeing that, wow, this could actually be a great method for us to um, build a culture and an environment where everyone takes ownership, like legitimately in word, in deed, but in practice. And I think that's important. And I, we had somebody on, I think it was episode 174 of the Zweig Letter podcast, Greg Graves, who was the CEO and chairman of Burns and McDonald. And he said specifically, that was the turning point for Burns and McDonald when they became an ESOP. And hmm. they've never looked back. Well, and I, I'll go back to John Carlson, too. One of the conversations I had with him prior to becoming an ESOP, he says, you know, looking at ISG, he says, there's two critical components that I think ESOP would work well for you. And that is you already have a broad, broad base of ownership. You've got 19 people. And the other one is that you grow not just to grow the top line and grow the bottom line, you are growing specifically to provide more leadership opportunities and just professional opportunities for your staff. And he says, that's not growing to make sure that you can have a bigger lake house. That's not growing to make sure that you can you know, take more money out of the firm. You're doing that because you recognize that you have to be able to grow in order to provide bigger and better opportunities for your people. And with those two things in mind, he says, I think, I think that's kind of the secret sauce as to what's going to make a good ESOP firm and what's not. And we just never, I know all kinds of people that have 20 person firms that, you know, made more annually from a dollar's perspective and took more money out of their company annually than we did when I was CEO of a 300 person firm. Yeah. Um, you, you can do it, but I think there's also, you're, you're doing it and you're probably limiting your company based on your own personal limitations. Uh, that's not the way we want to do it. We want to do it by providing opportunities for staff to, to develop. We want to, I mean, I hope that we've got four different 23 year olds right now working at ISG any one of them could and may be a future CEO of this organization at some point in time. You know, th those are exciting things. It's, it's when you start realizing the, the depth of your talent pool. And I mean, I think that's one of the things I kind of like about being over here in Sioux Falls. It's just, it's a different office and you can start seeing people face to face and, and recognize, you know, who's quote unquote got it who is it going to take a little bit more, you know, mentoring and nurturing to get it, whatever. Um, and everybody's got different career aspirations. Yeah. But no, it's good stuff. And we talked about that a while back. I remember when you, Lynn, and I were talking about trying to capture that mindset of the folks at ISG to kind of how do you capture that lightning in a bottle so that everybody kind of arrives at the same destination at the same time with regard to the realization that a this is a great place to work there are tremendous opportunities here and even if you just enjoy working here but don't necessarily have the aspirations to because i think a lot of times firm leaders and firm owners make the mistake that everybody wants to ultimately be in the corner office or the corner suite and that's the ultimate goal for everyone but that's not the case i mean you've got some amazing people on your team. You have some tremendous experts in different um, engineering areas. I'm thinking of Uma. I think he's an expert in water. And um, and you've just you've, you've had people that have been nationally and internationally recognized. So there you've created a platform for a lot of people to be successful in different ways. And then you add to it that layer of cake that now everybody's an owner. So it, it makes it even more special. Yeah. Yeah. I think it helps with the accountability component for sure. Um, although, you know, it, it, I, I think the ESOP, it doesn't make you be something that you're not. 
I think it amplifies what you are. And if you're a company that's satisfied with, um, you know, maybe some level of complacency, you're satisfied with uh, showing up late or who knows, yeah. you know, then, then all of a sudden you flip the switch and you're an ESOP, you start kind of covering for each other instead of holding each other accountable instead of raising the bar. Now, if you're a company that on the other hand is competitive and driven and, and recognizes that our competitive advantage is how fast can we get people mentored up and how fast can we get somebody to, to really be a valuable team member? Well, then you flip the switch and you're an ESOP. Now you're the person that wants to sit there next to another employee owner and say, hey, I see you're struggling with this thing. Let me help you with that. Let me yeah. get you to that point faster. And and at the same time, let's be honest. There's a part of it when um, you sit next to that person, like keeps showing up at 9:30 in the morning, and we've got stuff that's starting here earlier than that. Or or I'm trying to teach this program to this person. The person doesn't seem to care. Yeah. You know, then then that ramps up the hey office manager joe over here isn't cut isn't cutting it and i don't think he's going to cut it and i just don't he he might not be a bad person but he needs to a different business card than an isg one and and we're more the latter we are we're competitive we're driven we don't think we're mean but we also think that it means something to have an isg business card and that's that's what we're trying to embody out of that esop is hey guys this is all this is your firm. And if you don't like the way 2019 shook down, we don't either. And we're all in it together. Let's figure out how to, how to do it better. And yeah. So 2020, you know, started with this transition from a leadership perspective and you get this COVID deal hitting in March and all that. And we, you know, we're, uh, I wouldn't say we're really hitting our stride from a leadership perspective, although strangely, I would say COVID was a little bit of a blessing and not unlike, not unlike the great recession was a, a little bit of a blessing that, you know, those things that don't kill you, make you stronger. Right. Um, and, you know, we took it very seriously and we, um, it was probably late March and Lynn was like saying, I, I think a group of us kind of need to get together on a fairly frequent basis and just see what's going on. And we're all going into this remote working, uh, remote working environment. We're not seeing the whites of each other's eyes as much. What's going on? And we, we agreed to that and it ended up being Derek Johnson, David Doxstad, Lynn Bruins, and myself. And ultimately that ended up being a, a standing 7 a.m. call every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we went into that thing thinking not only are we going to figure out how to survive we will figure out how to thrive out of this we are going to hold ourselves accountable we are going to take this opportunity to tackle some of the things that maybe we couldn't tackle or, or we're choosing not to tackle for various reasons we're going to change this stuff and we're going to accelerate this leadership transition at the same time too. Um, we asked ourselves three questions almost instantaneously going into this. Um, how are we going to continue to win work? Is there going to be work to be won? But mm-hmm. in that in that category, how are we going to continue to win work? Two, are we going to be able to perform our work, work remotely in any kind of efficient fashion? And three, are we going to be able to mentor or develop our teams the way we want to? And I would argue that um, we were fortunate from an ISG perspective on the winning front. We've got many great relationships. And if you were to start something up from scratch without relationships, you know, March, April would have been a really bad time to do it. Um, but we had all kinds of clients that would either single source us or clients that felt comfortable about us in a, you know, a three firm pool. And so if they were going to be doing something, they were, they were going to 
be contacting us. So we felt good about that, but we also knew that it's going to be tough to develop new relationships in this situation. The mentorship and development of staff, we felt was going to be a challenge. And I think we're still correct in that. I think we're better together. We know we are better together. Um, it's not that you can't mentor. It's not that you can't help develop. But man, what's the value of seeing the 26-year-old the architect and you're the 50-year-old old guy and just saying, hey, let's go, let's go walk across the street and grab lunch together. And, and then it just becomes a free-for-all question and answer session of, the 26-year-olds get questions about all kinds of stuff, and you just try to provide insight. There's so much value in that that gets understated if you're not doing it. Yeah. So that that's a problem. But then, but our willing or our ability to perform work was better than we expected. Um, our IT was set up wonderfully um, for this, and we didn't set it up for a pandemic. We had set it up for hey, we've got people that travel around. We're a single profit center firm. We want to encourage people to be able to travel and visit our other offices, yet still be productive. And so we were in a virtual machine network that quite literally, um, it, it took almost nothing for us to convert immediately to a remote working environment and really not miss a beat. It's like flipping so the switch it, for you guys. Absolutely. So in, in a, um, if it's a steady state condition and if you don't have to worry about how to win work and you don't have to worry about developing staff in a steady state condition, we're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and have us work remote forever. The problem is, is the, the world isn't static. It's not a steady state condition. It's a dynamic world. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that, that's been, we, like I said, we know we're better together and we're probably a little bit different than a lot of firms. Um, we want to be back in the office as much as we possibly can. And it's not that our technology doesn't support the remote working environment. It's because we truly feel that there is a tremendous amount of value in personal contact and we are we are back in the offices a lot. I mean, I would say company wide. Now it's changed a little bit in the last month with kids going back to school and where where do the parents have to be home and all that kind of stuff. I shouldn't say kids going back to school. Kids having school starting in all those schools environments online or whatever. Right. And so now our offices are a little bit emptier than they had been. But I would say from July first through the end of summer we were probably 80% back in the office. Hmm. Um, and in some some offices, 100%, some offices, maybe 50%. I know that that's different than a lot of places, yeah. but, but we believe in the team. Did you have success keeping COVID at bay amongst your teammates as far as that's concerned for the most part? Yeah, I think at 325 people, we've had, I think... I want to say the number is five or six hmm. um, positive cases. Okay. Most of it's those darned interns that, you know, <laughs> can't keep themselves out of the bars or something. Right, I don't know. But no, right, yeah. <laughs> we had a couple of interns that got it, um, you know, and we haven't had any really bad cases. It's, it's either been largely asymptomatic or didn't feel very good over, you know, a, a couple of days. And yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, hey, you, you know, you, you can't uh, knock it if that's the experience that you guys have. And so I think everybody has to govern themselves accordingly with this uh, pandemic. And it's it's tough. It's definitely tough. I think if anything, you you guys were certainly a little ahead of the curve from a technology standpoint, it sounds like, which a lot of firms um, can't lay claim to that. And because of that, there's still struggling and we're seven months into this. So, I mean, there's a lot more that can be done. And I think a lot of people are going to um, be able to make some hindsight observations about this pandemic that will, um, will have them scratching their head about how come they weren't really prepared to deal with 
this or anything else that comes up for that matter. So I want to, um, were you going to say something? Oh yeah. Well, I was just going to add, you know, so I, I made mention of that, not just survive, but thrive, uh, throughout that process, we or throughout call it late March through April. And, and I would say all the way up to about June 1st, that's when at least the four of us were largely in a remote environment. Um, we really were pushing on things. And in that period of time, um, we had made an acquisition hmm. um, and, and we had the open, honest, sober conversation about um, it's like the last week of March. Are we going to keep, can go on with this acquisition? We decided, yeah, we told these folks that we were going to acquire them. Um, we think it's the right thing for us to do, not just personally and professionally, but we also think, you know, it's the right thing for the company. So we, we ultimately did that and closed on that acquisition in late March. Um, we added a telecommunications team when that was kind of a neat story. Um, husband of, uh, we've got a, a lady in our Green Bay office who is in our, on our transportation team. And her husband was, um, is an engineer, heads up a telecommunications group elsewhere. He really liked our, our internal office messaging about COVID. And he's like, man, I know more about ISG than my current, than I know about my current employer. And I wouldn't mind starting up a telecommunications team and leading it over at ISG. So that happened. That was kind of like an acquisition without an acquisition. Um, hired a new environmental services director, Julie Blackburn. She's awesome. Um, went a little different direction on our marketing and hired Tanya Pierce as our new marketing director. Um, and just recently uh, announced that we'll be opening up an office in Rochester, Minnesota. Um all of those things happened in a relatively short period of time. All of those things happened at the same time that we were saying in better defining what Lynn's role, excuse me, what David Dockstad's role was going to be and, and Derek's as well. Um, and, and David's has been a, a huge component of, to this success in the presidency role. You know, that's probably something that maybe others would consider it more of a chief operating officer type of role. Um, but he, he's got that, uh, and he enjoys that Lynn is doing a, an excellent job as CEO and, and Derek is, and you know, Derek, but he's, he's just a really good communicator and has the ability to see things through people, other people's eyes, but also then, you know, ask them the tough questions and get them to, you know, did you ever consider how, how this is coming off? And he's just... He's very persuasive in a in a non-threatening fashion. So th those people developed an awful lot. Um, Amanda Prosser, who runs our St. Louis Park, our Minneapolis office, mm -hmm. um, she also heads up our sports and recreation group and, and landscape architecture um, services group. Uh, she is on our board, our ISG board of directors, and she's doing a phenomenal job as well. Um, we, we had to make some tough decisions or we thought we had to, um, you know, I thought, I thought we were a little bit bloated and a little bit whatever in 2019. Yeah. So we made some tough decisions on staffing, um, that we never take lightly. And we did that on April 3rd, uh, some, some terminations and, um, also just some, haircuts for the entire company. So everybody took a pay cut on April 3rd um, and, and, and several terminations as well. Uh, we've been very strategic in what we've been hiring since then. And we wanted to make sure, can we, we don't, we don't know what the rainy day is like. We don't know how bad the situation is. We have to be in a position to protect, protect the firm. We have to be in a position to stockpile cash. And um, perhaps there's some opportunities that come out of this. I think where we currently sit, we've got a better understanding of, of, of COVID. We've got a, a better understanding of how serious it is. Um, but we also have ideas as to where can we deploy some of that cash now. Um, 
everybody has received wage increases since that fateful April 3rd day. Um, but they've been variable. We, um, you know, cause again, this isn't a static world. This is a dynamic world. Yeah. And so, you know, probably some people are making more money than they were prior to April 3rd. Some people haven't made themselves back up to that level, but we established a new point. And, um, and when we do that, uh, you know, say, you know, Sam Boyk, who's in charge of our mm-hmm. talent engagement. When we do those things, I promise you it, it's Lynn Bruins, it's Sam, it's David Dockstad, literally going through line by line of everybody in the firm. And so even at 325 people, there's still a, a, a personal touch of we are getting input on every single person. Yeah. So it's yeah. been a it's been a weird year. I mean, you know that, and that's the understatement of the century, but it's been um it it's is. been a weird year. But like I said, we we, we want to get we want to be awesome as a result of this. Yeah. Well, I think adversity um breeds uh opportunity. And uh, I think everybody that has taken the adversity that they're dealing with with this pandemic and looking at it as an opportunity to grow are benefiting from it. Those that kind of stick their head in the sand or just wait for this thing to be over, they're going to miss the boat, unfortunately. So I'm encouraging everybody to be you know, more attuned to how you can iterate in the face of the adversity that we're all dealing with, with the pandemic and come up with new ways to um, not only benefit your internal folks, but also to benefit your client base. And that ultimately can really make a big difference. So, you know, that's, I mean, what you are saying is, is, you know, scans perfectly with what we're seeing out there with other firms that are, you know, really not missing a beat, even though we are in the, you know, the midst of the worst pandemic that we've seen since 1918. So um, there's something to be said for, for what the future looks like. And I'm hopeful uh, as I, as I think you are. So. Absolutely hopeful. Yeah. So. Well, man, this has been great. I really appreciate you kind of sharing this. And and certainly, um, Chad, the one thing I can say I really appreciate about, appreciate about you is your transparency, which I think is refreshing in an industry where a lot of people hold things close to the vest. And I think you've been rewarded for that transparency over the years. And at least in the time that I've known you, it's always refreshing to hang out with you and spend time with you. So I thank you for kind of giving our audience an inside look at how just one design firm and an industry of thousands of design firms is making the most of this pandemic is not sitting idly by, um, not looking for a government handout, but is trying to make some things happen. And, um, you know, and I don't, I'm I'm not saying that lightly about the government handout because I recognize that some in, industries need it more than others just by virtue of how they operate. I haven't been on a plane since March, like literally, and I have no desire to get on a plane. As a matter of fact, anywhere I need to go, if somebody needs me to come see them, it's got to be driving distance right now because <laughs> I just don't want to get on a plane, but that's just me. But I but I understand that you know we're still in a, t- a tough environment, but you guys are making the most of it, and I want to applaud you for that. And uh, I look forward to seeing the next chapter of ISG and what you guys are able to put together, and even just some of the the little tidbits that you shared on the show should be encouragement for some of these other design firm owners out there that. Um, there's never been a better time to to figure out what the what the future is going to hold for your organization. And if anything, use Chad as an example for for what what they're doing on a number of levels. ESOP leadership change, development, and and where you want to ultimately take your design firm. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it, Randy. That's awesome. Again, very kind words. Um, my best to your lovely wife and children. I hope uh, you guys stay safe and well. 
and I intend to get myself down to Fayetteville and visit. You have to. And, We've got some and, barbecue uh, you, waiting for you down here. You and I have got a little bit of Wright's Barbecue. <laughs> yes, we do. We and, do uh, so. A little shameless plug for those guys. Oh, but, I yeah, know. Yeah, they don't need it, it, man. They op- actually opened up a new location in Bentonville right on the um, – the uh, the the really famous uh, mountain bike trail up there, uh, I think it's the Slaughter Pen. But anyway, they are they're doing just fine. But I'll be sure uh, the next time I go over there to tell Jordan, I I spoke to my good friend up in the Upper Midwest that loves your barbecue. So and the next time you're down here, we'll definitely make a hightail it over there to Wrights. Randy, I'm bringing friends next time. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so I'll save up. I'll save up. But Chad Serpernan, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. Um, well, if you want to jump on our ISG website, um, I, I know my email is provided, I think, on that. But that's uh, www.isginc.com. Or my mobile number, I'm an avid texter. I'll get back to you right away. Mobile number is 507-327-5417. And I get calls a lot, pretty frequently. Just had one a couple of weeks ago by a company that was contemplating an ESOP. Um, traveled the, the nation a little bit, talking to people about that. And, and provided them, I think, pretty honest advice of, hey, I think this is a good move for you. Or I... You know what? You just don't have a culture that is, it doesn't mean you've got a bad business. It just means ESOP isn't the right way, um, in my opinion, for you guys to move forward. But happy to talk anytime, any place with people on those types of matters. Absolutely. He means that, folks. So please reach out to Chad. Let him know, hey, I heard you on the Zweig Letter podcast. I'd love to just pick your brain about this or send him a text. He'll get back to you right away. So thank you so much, Chad. Thank you. Well, there you have, folks, another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. It's exciting to continue to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. Uh, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things for me. One, please subscribe to the Zweig Letter. It's free. It's one of the longest-running newsletters in the design industry. Mark Zweig started it in 1992, and it's been running ever since. He still writes one of the main articles in the newsletter, but we have so many outstanding people, including Chad, who was just on this podcast, that have written great articles, uh, so many thought leaders, so many different people. And I really want to encourage you to um, check out the Zweig Letter podcast. Subscribe for yourself. Subscribe for the whole office. It comes out every Monday at noon, you get a nice PDF and it walks you through everything that's happening in the design industry on a weekly basis. So I really want to encourage you check out the Zweig Letter podcast when you get a chance. And um, that's pretty much all I have. I also want to encourage you to rate and review the Zweig Letter podcast. Uh, we are wherever great podcasts can be found. You can even go to Alexa and say, hey, Alex, hey, Alexa, play the latest Zweig Letter podcast episode, and it will do that for you. So I just want to encourage you to check us out wherever you are. And then finally, the Elevate Virtual Conference is happening as I am speaking. The Elevate Virtual Conference is almost a two-month program of more than 50-plus events of outstanding individuals that Chad Chad Kleinens and Jamie Claire Kaiser and so many of the other leaders at Zwei Group have brought together for your benefit. So if you need any continuing education credits, it's not too late to sign up. Even if it's an event that has already happened, you can still watch the replay of that event and get the continuing education credits. There is a free portion and there is a paid portion. Trust me, the paid portions well worth the price of admission so i really want to encourage you to check that out uh, you can find that at swiggroup.com that's all i have for you today i will see you soon with a new episode of the zwag letter podcast remember to make it a great day peace thanks for tuning in to the zwag letter podcast we hope that you can be part of elevating the industry 
and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.